Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello everyone and welcome back to Diva Behavior, the podcast. I'm your host, Molly Molshine, and our topic this week is dominatrixes. So my guest this week is Lindsay Goldwert. And she just recently wrote a book called Bow Down, Lessons from Dominatrixes on How to Get Everything You Want. You can order the book anywhere books are available online. Or if you're more of an analog gal, you can just go to a bookstore and buy it. So our discussion, it really did put BDSM, sex work, and dominatrixes in a whole new light for me. Because obviously I am a sex positive kind of person. I am not the kind of person who demonizes sex workers. I think that all sex workers are amazing and they are providing a service that is desperately needed for a lot of people. And I just hate any form of slut shaming whatsoever. It just really kind of makes my blood boil. So Lindsay kind of taught me a little bit more about specifically why dominatrixes are so empowered and crucially how they're able to kind of do what they want while respecting other people's boundaries and I think that's always such a huge juggle for anyone can we use juggle as a noun I don't know we just are and I think this week is a perfect time to talk about all of this because we're on day four of an outrage cycle about the Super Bowl halftime show Jesus, guys, white women, and I say this as a white woman, you are embarrassing me and all of us. What is with the pearl clutching? My God. So for my international listeners, the Super Bowl is the biggest sporting event of the year in America. It's the final football game of the season. Everyone in the world watches it. There's always a gigantic halftime show with a big headliner yada 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 the commercials cost millions of dollars it's basically a gigantic shrine to capitalism and it's put on by the nfl which is a pretty messed up organization a lot of people boycott even performing the halftime show because of the nfl's bad track record on supporting its black players and the nfl also has a really bad track record on holding its players accountable for things like domestic violence so anyone who thinks this is a family-friendly event first of all, is deluding themselves, okay? The NFL is not exactly the Disney Channel, you know what I mean? Not to mention the injuries these guys go through and everything. It's just, it's crazy. It's all very controversial. And yet, two women performing in the halftime show is the friggin' talk of the town. So Shakira and Jennifer Lopez performed, and it was perfect because... They sang a lot in Spanish. The Super Bowl this year was held in Miami, which has a lot of Spanish speakers. And this obviously pissed people off because people are dumb and racist. Fun fact, the United States does not have an official language. The Founding Fathers decided not to give us one because they were hoping we wouldn't be this dumb and racist. Boy, would they be shocked today. But people got really angry about their dance moves. I don't know how else to put it. People were angry about the way that these women were moving their bodies. These two women, who are 43 and 50 years old, respectively, deciding to dress the way they want to dress and move the way they want to move, it it caused an uproar. 
Now, this really bothers me because I think when when women police other women's sexuality, and I, I hesitate to even call it sexuality because it's dancing, okay? They were performing different forms of dance that have roots in the Middle East, in Africa, in Latin America, and yes, Jennifer Lopez did pole dance, which everyone flipped out about, but they're dancing. It's not inherently sexual unless you make it sexual. And yes, obviously, when you do a dance where you're moving your hips, it's way hotter than, say, Irish step dancing, but that doesn't mean you need to shield your children's eyes from it. So I was seeing all these people on social media and some people in my group chats saying, oh, how am I going to explain this to my kids? My children shouldn't have seen that, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, "Mm, did you happen to explain the NFL's track record on domestic violence to your kids? Did you happen to explain CTE and brain damage that results from playing football to your kids? Did you explain the hyper, hyper, hyper capitalism that was on display and making people have an affinity for companies that we all know are evil? Did you explain that to your kids? No? Then you don't need to explain a dance move to your kid. One thing people really stuck on was Jennifer Lopez dancing on the pole. This is so stupid to me. You cannot convince me that any kid watching that show turned to their parent and said, why is that lady on a pole? You just can't convince me. The kid probably thought they were at Cirque du Soleil. They probably thought they were watching acrobatics. If your kid did think it was weird that she was dancing on a pole, then why does your kid know what a strip club is? I understand not wanting to explain a strip club to an eight-year-old, but no one asked you to, and you don't have to at all. I think what we saw on display in the last four days after the Super Bowl halftime show was just a lot of really fragile femininity. I think a lot, you know, there's toxic masculinity. We don't often talk about toxic femininity, and there's not even really an agreed-upon definition of it. But when I see women talking shit about other women for the way that they're dancing, I feel like that is just the most toxic form of femininity possible. And I think it stems from feeling inadequate, you know, I think these women who were annoyed and angry about Shakira and J-Lo, I think it was because they felt inadequate. But, sweetie, let me tell you a secret. Your gross husband is not going to be, like, getting with J-Lo after the Super Bowl. Okay? You're safe. You're fine. No one expects you to be J-Lo. No one thinks you're J-Lo. We all know you're not. Women express themselves in different ways. I mean, I kind of sympathize because... As a woman, I guess you do feel this pressure to sort of be everything to everyone at all times. And whenever you see a woman who's doing femininity in a way that's uncomfortable for you or in a way that makes you feel inadequate, I guess it makes sense to get kind of emotional. But I just really, really wish we would think past this brainwashing that makes us slut shame other women for dancing. What is this, footloose? And here's the other thing. If you are a woman... No matter what you've done, no matter how pure or modest or chaste you've tried to be throughout your life, I guarantee you that at some point, another woman has said or thought this kind of shit about you. 
I don't care if you saved yourself for marriage and you cover your elbows every time you go out in public. There is another woman in your church who's talking about what a hoe you are. I'm sorry. And this is not a woman-only problem. Men are doing this too. And I don't want to hold women to a higher standard because I know we're all already dealing with way too much shit. But I just want you to think about that. Slut-shaming, no one wins. No one wins that game. If you look at another woman and you say to yourself, ugh, I would never do that, you're you're just, you're screwing us all. You know, none of us win that game. Not a single person. You cannot be pure enough to satisfy the players of that game. So let's just stop. Let's stop it. If you see someone who's behaving in a more sexually overt way than you, that doesn't mean you have to behave like that person. It's not a contest. You know, at the Super Bowl, you had such a wide representation of femininity from the woman who's a coach on the sidelines of one of the teams, from her to Demi Lovato, who wore an all-white suit and didn't move a muscle of her body while she performed, to J-Lo and Shakira, who expressed themselves the way they wanted to express themselves. You know, they've been in this business for decades. They've been working toward this moment for decades and that doesn't mean that you suck it doesn't mean that you're not sexual enough it doesn't mean that you're not feminine enough it doesn't mean that your partner is going to look at you and think you're a slob after watching that halftime show any more than it means you're gonna look at I mean you might look at your partner and think he's a slob after watching those football players but you know you'll keep it to yourself (laughs) Stop judging people for stuff that doesn't hurt anyone. And also, stop lying about having to explain things to your kid. You have to explain things to your kid. You're their freaking parent. Get over it. And I just don't believe that any kid was like, can you please explain that halftime show to me? I just don't believe it. I just don't believe it. I'm sorry. Sorry. I don't think it happened. I think people just wanted to virtue signal and pearl clutch and talk about how they're a better person than J-Lo and Shakira. Oh my god, it makes me so mad. Anyway, with all that in mind... Please enjoy this week's episode with me, Molly Molshine, at Molly Molshine on Twitter and Instagram, and Lindsay Goldwert. And check out her book. It's called Bow Down. It's so easy to remember. You guys can find it. Enjoy. Some people think Diva's a bitch. Who's a diva to you? Would you say, are you one? I never said that. Diva behavior. Great gowns, beautiful gowns. Diva Behavior, the podcast. So, Lindsay, tell me about your book, Bow Down. Thank you so much for having me. Um, So I wrote, um, so Bow Down is Lessons from Dominatrixes and How to Get Everything You Want. Um, It is a lifestyle book um, where I use the kind of the lens of BDSM to examine you know, all the things in your life. And I were talking about consent, negotiation, safe words, communication, um, to sort of teach you how to ask for what you want and how to get it. Where'd you get the idea for this book? I think I've always been interested in in different subcultures. And I think I just wanted an excuse to meet and talk to some dominatrixes. <laughs> um, I don't know. I just think I had this idea, you know, because I wanted, as I got older, I was getting frustrated with myself Um, Like why I was unable to get my ideas across, why I was always doubting my instincts. And I was thinking to myself, you know, as I enter my second phase of life, you know, I want to figure out, I want to find this power within myself and I want to understand power dynamics. You know, why do I let people who I don't think are as smart as me get the upper hand and how can I 
flip that around so that I can I can be confident in my own ideas and own the room. Cool. So when you were talking, how many dominatrixes did you interview for this book? I think I interviewed around 12. Okay. And did most of them have a similar origin story or how did they come into the world of being a dominatrix? Because it is, you know, the way women are socialized is not usually to behave that way. So how did they find it within themselves to do that? I think a lot of them have different stories. Some of them ended up there um, because they were... One of them was a, a professional bodybuilder um, who realized that she could there's she, that she could make money as a dom because she looks like a like a WWE fighter and there's such a fetish for oh my these God. like Amazon women who can you know so she just sort of fell into it. Um, a lot of them were just really into sex and alternative cultures. You know, in college, you know, some people just couldn't stop, couldn't put down the books about sex, and you know, and some of them just are kind of like me. You know, just kind of want to make their own hours and they just have their own idea of the, the life they want to live you know they yeah. just had to they have to make their own way in the world um, like either I could sell leggings out of my garage on Facebook <laughs> or I could become a dominatrix right um and you know a lot of them I mean the ones I spoke to um I spoke to the ones um I would say were between like 30 and 45 although all the women look so fabulous I have no clue how old anybody is mm-hmm. um so most of them I talked to you know went to college or just have had, did a lot of thinking about not that you need to go to college um so they all had different stories but I think in the end they both um they all wanted to do a job where they could be very empathetic, they could be very open-minded, where they wanted to make their own hours, where they wanted to make a lot of money, and they wanted to travel, make their own schedules. Um, they wanted to sort of build their own life, and maybe they felt that that life wasn't going to be built for them. Yeah. And I related to that very deeply. How does it work with, like, paying your taxes? Do you file as, like, a, do you fill out a W-4? Like, how does it work? most of the times they're an independent contractor like even if you work in a dungeon and there aren't that many dungeons left in new york you know it's typical new york real estate story yes (laughs) dungeon rent is too damn high um (laughs) but um i think that you know i I asked them um kind of off the record and you know they all pay their taxes the ones i talked to and you know a lot of them um they pay their taxes as you know as a model as a video editor i mean they they don't just many of them don't just do what they do um one of the the um one of the doms um, has a um, she has a coaching license, so she pays as a coach. You know, so many of them are sex educators. They they really try to diversify their portfolios. Um, they often wear a lot of hats um, to kind of keep themselves going. So they 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 don't pay. I think unless you're in a state like Nevada, I don't think you could pay your taxes as a sex worker. Right. I don't, I don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that's well, true. Well, that was my next question. Is so let's define what a dominatrix is for people who don't know. It's what, how would you define it? So a dominatrix is a person, a female-identified person, um, who um, sees not always male, but sees a lot of male clients and explores areas of domination with them, with their fantasies, whether it's you know humiliation, whether it's impact, whether it's just, it could be any kind of fantasy exploration um, where it is a, an adoration of the divine feminine. And it depends um, on what's agreed to. It can be, there's sort of no one way to be domed and every sub has their own fantasy. Um, but um, it's usually a luxury service. And uh, and yeah, and that's, um, in the book, I, I interview this woman, Simone Justice, um, who did a beautiful job kind of explaining to me 
what Adam is and what Adam isn't. Adam isn't a cruel and mean person. Okay. Adam will never do anything ever without consent. Everything is negotiated beforehand. You will not walk into a dungeon and just have something terrible happen to you. Um, that's that's terrible. That's non-consensual. That's assault. Um, so there's nothing that happens. Uh, it's like porn. People think porn is like something that's just happening on camera, but everything is negotiated beforehand. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So um, I actually had a session with a dominatrix for the book. Oh, no way. I did. And it was really interesting. She was a friend and I wanted to see what it would be like. Um, I'm not a stubby person, but I wanted to see what it would be like. And it was so interesting. She, um, she said, what do you want to do? And I said, I'd, I had to think about it because I'd never thought about it. And I came up with a list of things that were interesting to me. And I told her, um, you could hurt me, but just don't hurt my feelings. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, don't say, like, your dad never loved you. Like, don't say that. Or, like, I would be the opposite. I'd be like, roast me, but do not touch me. <laughs> I'm like, don't roast me. I'm very <laughs> fragile. Um, but we talked about, you know, and... And when I went to see her, I bought her like a like some baked goods to say thank you. I'm like such a Jew. I bought her like, I bought her a babka. Oh my god! Um, but I when I went there, I just felt very. I, I wasn't nervous. I just felt very confident that she was everything. Nothing was going to happen that I didn't negotiate beforehand. And we had a really it was really fun. And it was definitely like on the salsa scale. I think it was definitely like mild to medium more on the mild side but it was so interesting and it was really fun and it like really opened I I see I like I got it like oh this is why people do this this is really it was really fun so what kind of stuff did she do she used a flogger on me what's a flogger it's like this it's a tool it has all these like leathery fringes on it okay and it looks yeah and it looks and it makes a very loud sound, which is very horrifying. If you, but it's it it can feel it, it can every tool can give a different feeling. Like if you're really into this sort of thing, you know something can have like a little. It can be thuddy, like or something can be like snappy, you yeah. know, like um, and yeah, and she just gave me a very. It was very gentle, I think. Yeah. Um, but it was just really fun, and it was really. It's not. I don't. I'm not a stubby person. It wasn't necessarily for me. Um, like there's somebody that I just wasn't into, but it was just, I was just felt very lucky to, to have a friend who would just, you know, it's like having a friend who's a personal trainer. That's really what it was like. And I was like, oh, this is really cool to do this with another woman. It's not, you know, to, to feel like very, in a very safe place to just explore something new. And it was, it was really great. And so my understanding of, I guess BDSM is the umbrella term and the dominatrix thing is its own specific branch of that. So it's not necessarily sexual, right? Like in terms of the activities that are being done. So, yes, I think it's always sexual. I think it's sexual in nature, but it's not sex as the way we think about sex necessarily. Um, people, one thing that my friend Simone says that men don't see me for sex; they see me for awe. You know, wow. they can get sex from anybody, but they cannot get an experience like this from anybody. So they. I mean, I can't say what every dom does and doesn't do, but in in general, they do not have normative sex with their clients. There could be pegging that could happen, but that doesn't always happen. Um, You know, desire is a very interesting thing. People can get off by being humiliated. They can get off on on being on impact. They could get off on just any kind of fantasy exploration. You know, it doesn't, a lot of sex is like, you know, your brain is the sexiest part of your body. You know, sensation is very hot. You know, it doesn't have to be. And, 
you know, it, it doesn't just have to be the kind of intercourse to have a really good time. And I, and that's the part of this, of it that I found really exciting. So with the, it's the concept of awe and worship that keeps coming up. That's really interesting to me because I wouldn't necessarily equate that with, you know, humiliation and things like that. So what's the connection there? So the connection, it's, it's communication, it's consent, it's, it's, and it's connection. Like people want, you know, to have someone understand what you're into and to meet you at that place, you know, whether you submit or you dominate, you have to come from a place of equality. Like you're both agreeing to be in this place together and everyone should get what they want. And if someone wants to be, you know, humiliated, the other person gets off on humiliating, then everyone's getting what they want. And it's kind of a beautiful thing, you know. Um, so in the end, like, because if you do these things and, and, not, and everyone's not excited or into it, then it is assault. It's either it's emotional right. abuse or it's it's cruel, you know, so I think um, to be able to to trust someone like that, to be able to trust that, you know, they're going to respect your safe words, respect your boundaries, but they're going to like jump in with you, you know, and ride at this crazy adventure. And then when it's over to like, to like come down with them and be like, hey, you're safe with me. That was over. That was really intense. That's a lot of responsibility as a partner to, to do. And, and that's what a dominatrix can do is she can like take you on this like wild journey and then when it's over she can like sit down with you and be like how are you feeling right now like right how any feelings come up for you you know it's like having it's like it's like sexual performance art and it's therapeutic but it's not therapy and people might want to treat it it's like stand-up comedy it's therapeutic but it's not therapy it's not dissimilar in a lot of ways that's interesting so that sort of being calm before and after and approaching things like equals that already is like mind blowing to me in terms of interpersonal communication and the way that you can apply that to your own life. Absolutely. Because for me, whenever I'm in a conflict with anyone, whether it's work or anything, I'm going into it like terrified and never feeling like, Hey, I'm equal to this person. So is there, was that something that came up at all? So I thought about a lot of ways, like, you know, you have a say like your boss is giving, is putting too much, too much on your plate. Right. And you're starting to feel overwhelmed and you're starting to feel like you're, you're starting to feel like you're being taken advantage of a little bit. So what can you do to flip the dynamic? You know, it's like, well, you can't you're not going to be your boss's boss, but you can like sit down with your with your boss and you can put the, pull out your job description and you can say like, hey, this is the job that I'm supposed to be doing. This is what I'm actually doing. If you want me to be doing this, like, are you going to can you help me prioritize? And then. And then suddenly, like, or, or you could say, like, well, this is actually, I'm actually doing the job of an assistant. You can just take the, and, you, and if you have data, you can flip. The, it's, not, it's not that you're being your boss's boss, but you can just, you can show your boss that that you do have the power because you do leave. He's going to have someone who can't do that job. So it's right. just important for you to just come to the table, you know, and renegotiate for yourself. And it doesn't mean that you're crude or cruel or bitchy. You just have to just state the facts and just do it in a way with confidence because if you are doing more than your job description and you just have to say that and you can't argue with a fact. So there's a lot of little stuff like that by not being afraid to just say that the truth of what's happening and that if and if that is causing a problem then that might not be the right job for you. You know, right. that or you might have to be okay with like hey, like you have to take whatever's coming to you. Is that kind of job? Well, you're going to have to agree to that. Right. Like you might not have to like it's it is about consent negotiation because when you take a job you're negotiating the job that, that you're going to be taking. So if they're piling more on you then you have to negotiate back and say, "Well, if you want me to pick up your dry cleaning." 
and babysit your kids, then I'm not going to be able to answer your calls or book your travel. So you have to pick these things. And if they, and they might say, oh, well, then I need you to do this. Like then the job has been renegotiated in your favor. So there's a way to, to take it back and to just, to not have to always be so, feel so small all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like a dominatrix is like if you took diva and took it to the absolute and be all and end all of diva behavior. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, it's like a dominatrix is just like it's it's a fantasy, right? Like 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 a pro dom is a woman that 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 does professional domination for a living. Like the dominatrix is just like a mythical being, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that. That's a fantasy. That's what men want. They want this mythical woman to, to dominate them and to, like, be their masturbatory fantasy of, like, wrestling or Wonder Woman, you know, all these things. But in general, like, I think it's important to just say, you know, these are women and they are – they're they're not they're not idealized. You know, they want to be treated right. as, as people. They have bills to pay and, you know, like someone, a fantasy doesn't, doesn't need to pay rent. A fantasy doesn't need to right. have, have health insurance. So I think that, that a lot of what they see and on their social media is, you know, there is is performance. We all have performance on social media. We all want to be hired and we all want people to look at us at our best. All of our websites, we look the most attractive, you know. Um, but I think that, you know, to be an, an alpha woman means that you just, it's not even just like not taking shit. It's like, I know what I need. I know what I want. I'm not being unreasonable for asking what I want. And I'm not a, a bitch, which is a ridiculous word, for asking what I want when it is reasonable. There's, there's, if you're being cruel or unreasonable, that's not being a bitch. It's just being cruel and unreasonable. Um, right. But, yeah, there's, there's nothing wrong with asking for what you want. And if you ask for it, chances are people will give it to you. So what would be the dominatrix tip for how to deal with rejection? I think just, you know, someone, this is, someone said to me recently that if you're not getting rejected 50% of the time, you're not asking for enough. Wow. That's such a good way to look at it. Yeah. I mean, it depends. You just have to have faith in yourself and your ideas. I mean, everyone gets rejected, you know. You know, I remember a long time ago, this is sort of on a different topic. We were talking about freelance writing. I'm a writer. You're a writer. And someone was saying... um, why women don't get published as much as men in magazines. And one of the, and an editor, a male editor said, well, women will pitch and we'll, we won't take, and then they'll never pitch again. And men will just keep pitching, yeah. you know. And I wonder if, like, I, I, sometimes I think we take, I, I realize I took rejection too hard. And I just had to just have more faith in my ideas to just keep going and not be, not take it as, like, you're stupid, you know, yeah. and people are wrong. You know, you think about all the people who say no to smart people all the time. So I think that the answer is just to have faith and keep moving, you know, yeah. and just and everyone gets bummed out. And you're not wrong to feel bummed out. No one loves rejection unless you're a masochist. Right. Um, but I don't know anyone that likes that fetish. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I think that, you know, I think they would say just keep moving, have faith in your ideas and, you know, and and – you know, they they didn't really have any answers. Where I, I when I when I interviewed them, I thought they were gonna like whip me into shape and blah blah blah. You know, and they didn't. They were all they were all really introspective and had a lot of you know. They didn't. They 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 don't have answers like that. They just right. said, you know, this is how I live. I believe in empathy and respect and communication and you know accepting of other people's cultures and gender, you know, and, and that's sort of how they rule their, how they, how they operate. And, but they're still figuring out their own lives, you know, like yeah. they don't have an answer to how other people should live their lives. And, um, and what I found so inspiring was 
you know, I just admired how much faith they had in themselves, even if they might not have that faith every day. But um, just their commitment to communication and their commitment to the to to putting themselves first, um, even if they might not feel that way every day. And even though it is a costume, a lot of them do walk the walk every day. You can't be a sex worker and, and, and not and not put yourself out there every day. You know, yeah. it's they're not doing the same kind of work I'm doing. And it's really important. When I wrote this book, the first line of the book is, is I'm a money writer. I'm not a, a dominatrix. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I'm just writing about them and, and trying to get their philosophy. But they're the ones that are really out there doing the work. And it was really important to me that I... I didn't like take all their lessons and try to make, a, you know, a whole philosophy out of it. Like I didn't, they're the ones that are the stars of the book, not me. Yeah. That's so cool. Did, so do they all have like incredible style? <laughs> Some of them have really great style. Um, there are, yes, it's yeah, for sure. So one of the women I interviewed, I interviewed for the book, her name is uh, the Baroness. Oh my and God, she that's is amazing. she is a latex designer. She does the some of the costumes for Pose um, for the show Pose and FX. She did some stuff for. She does a lot of like celebrity stuff, like Nicki Minaj and Beyonce. She did Lady Gaga's like that crazy collar she wore on in one of her videos. Oh, in Bad Romance, I feel like that was like all latex. She did that. maybe like Born in the Sweat. She did she oh, okay. she did a lot of crazy stuff for her. She is an amazing person. I interviewed her for two hours, and she in the chapter about how to dress for power and she blew my mind um talking about how people dress or get stuck when they dress they might dress at the time in their life when they felt the most confident they might keep that style oh yeah that's and, and i think about how my hair has like always been this i've had the same haircut you know mostly for my entire life and she's talked a lot about cleaning out your closet and like what's there and, and how you you have to dress for yourself you can't you can never control how other people perceive you so, like, you just have to project something out from yourself, which sounds very basic, but I'd never thought about that. I always felt very uncomfortable. I just never knew how to dress at work, you know, and then you always worry you're wearing the wrong thing. But in the end, yeah. like, if you, people can tell when you walk into your room that you're feeling good about yourself. And feeling sex, feel, dressing to harness your sexual energy doesn't mean showing a lot of skin. Right. Um, I never thought about any of that stuff before. Um, and when I went through my own closet and threw everything out, I, I had to ask myself a lot of those questions. Like, how does this make me feel? Can I sit in it? Can I dance in it? You know, am I, am I, is it pulling? Is it like, is it itchy? You know, yeah. like, how did I feel when I bought it? Why am I holding on to it? It wasn't like Marie Kondo, but I just, I had to really think about, it. is this garment serving me? Yeah. And I started asking that question about a lot of things in my life, you know. And one of the doms, uh, her name is Mistress Couple. She was wonderful. Um, and she told me that she left her job as a ballroom dancer, as a ballroom dancing instructor, um, when she realized the job was no longer serving her. And I just love that analogy, you know. And that your job is supposed to serve you. That everything in your life has to serve yeah. you or serve some purpose, you know, like, is this marriage, is this partnership serving me? Is this job serving me? Is my, you know, everything? And the answer can be yes a lot. And sometimes it's not, but you still have to do it, you know? Yeah. Um, but you, you keep an eye on it. You know, when I think about that with my spending, you know, I used to, you know, is this purchase serving my goals? Is it, ser- you know, and sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes, like, I need to buy shampoo. Yeah. <laughs> my goal is to have clean hair, you know? <laughs> but sometimes, you know, I think about this, that I used to walk into Sephora, and I'm like, why am I making this purchase? I'm like, well, is it really serving me, or is it just, like, a band-aid over my sad feelings yeah. and I just started thinking a lot about it I started taking the guilt out of things the answer is like I'm, I'm I deserve more I'm worth more as opposed to like 
I should do this. I should do that. So I started using that philosophy of, 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 is this serving me on a lot more things in life? And it's been really interesting um, how life has sort of changed a little bit. And the guilt thing is so hard to overcome if you were raised in, like I was raised Catholic. So I just feel guilty about everything 24 seven. I'm like, it's a friggin' nightmare. Well, I'm Jewish, so my guilt's a little different, but it's it's a lot of guilt between you and me. Yeah, <laughs> those are like the two big guilt ones, and I'm like, what is the deal with that? Where does it come from? Because no one ever says it outright. You just kind of grow up with it, and it's always there. I think it's very important to. I try to communicate a little bit. I've really made it a lot of effort to, you know, to say like, to say. This is how I'm feeling. And not to be too touchy-feely about it. Not everyone's in the mood for your feelings all the time. Right. And some people love to talk about their feelings. I, I don't particularly. But if 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 um, if things are awkward, you can just say, I feel like this is like a little bit awkward right now. Like, how about I just do this? Like, I found yeah. that taking the initiative to do something when no one else wants to do it, that that can make life easier. So what was something that you learned about guilt during this process? Well, I think, so, guilt is pretty interesting. You know, a lot of the doms, they all came from very different backgrounds. A lot of them came from religious backgrounds. Some of them came from Mormon backgrounds. Some of them came from very liberal. Yeah. Wow. Some of them came from very liberal backgrounds. And in the end, a lot of them talked a lot about shame and a lot about guilt and, and overcoming it. And they, you know, there's a reason why their clients come to them and they don't, just because that they they can't talk about these things every day, and sometimes the secret it's hot to have a secret, right? Like nobody knows that I'm wearing women's underwear. Nobody knows that I want to be, I want to wear a slave collar, you know. And that's the hot part of it. But then there's also a part of it like no one can know because people won't think I'm enough of a man. Like and there's yeah. all this toxic masculinity when really it's just a fantasy, and we're all just trying to live our lives. Um, so I think that much a lot of what they do is is dealing with people's guilt and shame and kind of letting them know that they're in a safe space to explore in. Um, But in terms of like, I know when I talked to the the Baroness and we talked about, you know, getting rid of things in your closet that, you know, you know, the idea of... um, Things that might have a sentimental value that isn't really that... I mean, I thought a lot about, you know, something like say you, you have a dress that you wore to your like you know, this night out with your girlfriends, you know, before everyone got married and, you know, and that dress reminds you of a good time. It doesn't fit anymore, but you still mm-hmm. think about it. Or you have these jeans that you bought on sale that never really fit you. Or, you, oh, the worst part, you have expensive jeans that never really fit you, but you can't get rid of them because you mm-hmm. spend so much on them. Like all these things kind of like weigh you down, you know, and and then when you get rid of them, you do feel better, but you feel that weight. You see the the money. I mean, yeah. that's the thing too. When I went through my closet, the idea of all the wasted money made me want to throw up. Yeah, because we do buy things as like you know, it's like eating, shopping, drinking. You know, all these things we do to cover up feelings. You know, when you're faced with it, you know, I don't know if that's what Marie Kondo says, but for me, you know, it was like throwing out a book of memories, and not all of them were good memories, but it was very. I mean, it's hard for me to throw away a pair of ugly, expensive shoes because I felt yeah. stupid for having bought them. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. Having no matter what, facing yourself is hard. Yeah, <laughs> is what I've learned. And um, and I think that a lot of these these the doms and sex workers they deal with people's like psychic energy. 
um, and they do a lot of healing sort of work. You know, that's a lot to put on somebody. Like, this is my fantasy. You're the only one that knows. And they have to take it. It's, it's the work they do is it's physical work. Mm-hmm. And it's also emotional work. And um, that's that's a lot, you know. And yeah. and I, I, I don't know if I could if I could do that, if I could face so much energy from, from people. I mean, and, you know, and then also be, have to deal with legal shit all day. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a lot of work. And Being I, any sort of sex worker seems like such a immense stress all the time because you've got the stigma of society. And then like you're saying with picking up other people's energy all day, I just can't even imagine. Well, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I can't speak for, for everybody. I mean, I guess if you live in Nevada where it's legal, you know, they have um, a lot more protection. They can file their taxes as sex workers, you know. Um, you know, it's a different sort of life, you know. Some sex workers are doing it, you know, because this is their, their choice to do it. This is the career they've chosen. Some are doing it out of necessity. So every sex worker's life is different. Um, so I can't, I don't want to comment on anyone in particular, but I do think um, that, there are these laws that I am. I learned about. I learned a lot writing this book. Um, these FOSTA SESTA laws, which, t- t- in short, they're a little bit nebulous. But it, in, it, so, if you if you are a publication that hosts ads that promote sex work, um, according to these laws, you are pretty much aiding and abetting human trafficking, and that is why uh, sex workers, ad- adult film stars, um, are being kicked off. Uh, Instagram and Tumblr. I can't even promote my podcast, which is a money podcast with us, uh, which is about sex and money. Um, it got rejected from Facebook. Wow! Promoting, you know, and it's about banking. It just I'm just happens to be talking to um, an adult film star and a dominatrix, yeah. but because they're sex in it, they you know that's Facebook has a lot of balls trying to be like the moral authority on anything. Well, that's the thing. So there's. Um, there's a lot of bullshit morality um, yeah. when you think about it. And that's, they, they, they come up against a lot of uh, moral issues. And the thing I think a lot about when it comes to sex workers is I remember there was an article I read where um, I believe it was some black trans sex workers were the ones who said this, but they were saying, you know, uh, Republicans stop moralizing us, liberals stop trying to save us. Because in the end, mm-hmm. they're getting, they're, no one is on their side because if people like Ashley Judd are saying, you know, she's very anti prostitution. You know, these women need to be saved. They're victims. Um, I, I think it's a very complicated situation. It's very easy to say that. Um, yeah. But they're really taking away their rights. And they're taking... It's very. It's a very complicated thing. There's a lot of really wonderful people to talk to. But um, I've become very passionate about uh, how sex work is real work. Yeah. And, um, and it's really exciting to see um, that this has become a big topic for the 2020 election. More and more um, supporters are coming out. More and more candidates are thinking about decriminalization versus legalization which is a very complicated topic too but i think now is the time to do it i think that you know sex work is real work and i and no one should be afraid to go to the police everyone deserves to be paid for the work they do and i i i think the work they do is a lot more moral than a lot of the things i see these days oh yeah i i really i i feel very strongly about this um and uh yeah, it was a very it was a very illuminating year for me, and I really came out. You know, I knew I would be very empathetic toward these women. Obviously, I have a proclivity toward this sort of work, you know, and, and my interests. But um, it really bothered me to 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 see and hear them talk about all the ways that their work had sort of fallen off because they didn't have as many safe places to meet 
customers and clients. Right. Um, so in these laws and their attempt to make women safer, quote unquote, they've actually made it much harder for right. them. Yeah. Because they got rid of all of the online meeting places, right? Yes. So now it's it's just such a stupid effect of Yeah. I mean no one none of the women are pro human trafficking. They don't want anyone who is doing this work against their will to have to do anything. But if every but but they're all under the same umbrella and in the end you can't come forward to the police because the police are not are certainly not your friend yeah um and that's very scary i have a lot of privilege knowing that if i i can go to if someone breaks into my apartment um i can call the police someone breaks into their apartment um they have a, they have a lot more to worry about than i do yeah. and that's something i never really thought about so yeah so um i have a lot of um i don't know i i, I I, I just I, I felt very comfortable with these women in a way that I, I know you and I both did stand up comedy and I kept saying how it felt sort of similar. Um, they both had, they all had really great senses of humor. The ones I yeah. talked to, they um, they had a lot of again I keep using the word empathy, but they were just really open minded. They just laughed a lot. I mean I saw them when they were all in a good mood, but they just were not afraid um, of of to be in weird situations, to talk to new people. They were. You know, they were very guarded in their own way for their own personal safety. But I just admired so much the, the, the let's see what this is about. Like, yeah. whoa, like. And where do you think that lack of fear comes from? I, I think that everyone's always a little bit afraid. But I think that you just, I think you just like see life is short and you want to live your, I mean, all these things sound so corny, like be your true self and be your authentic self, you know. All that stuff has come so cliche, but it really is true. Like you do try so hard to figure out where you what's the real you is and what's just a, and what's remnants of your of your psychic past um and the older you get and there's a lot of there's a lot of good things about being getting older and i think the older you get the more you sort of realize who you really are and a lot of them just spend a lot of time trying to figure out who they are yeah um you can lose yourself in this kind of work you know you're working under an assume a different name you know like i don't know any of these women's real names mm-hmm. i only know two of them by their real first name i don't know any of their last names um so if i'm going by the name like you know you know mistress vengeance you know you can kind of, I could kind of lose Lindsay too. So you have, you're kind of nurturing two sides of yourself. Yeah. And in the book I, I gave, I was, I talk about how, you know, maybe your alter ego can be the part of yourself that you wish you were. Like maybe I wish I was Mistress Vengeance. You know, I, I wish I could like beat the shit out of rapists and I could like, yeah. you know, kick down a door. I mm-hmm. mean, I've always wanted to be that in my fantasies, you know. Um, and then like, how could I kind of like, instead of, being that person, which is a crazy person, really, you know, yeah. like I'm not really going to be a vigilante, but to try to like harness more of that energy into my regular life, you know, that's sort of the key. You, if you live two separate lives, you know, then you kind of lose your, you lose your flow. But I don't know. I, I wanted, I don't want to be like a fantasy person. I don't want to, I don't want to have to be like Mistress Vengeance. I just want to be more of a more powerful version of myself. Yeah. And do you think that this, like, getting to know these women and talking to them helped you with that a lot. I do. I, I just really admired their dedication to to honesty and their dedication to to communication and truth. I can't that I, I just was very moved by I was very moved by it. You know, the way they talked about relationships and how to talk to your partner about wanting to change things up, the way of talking about um about shame, the way I've talked, all these things. I, there are things I thought about my whole life, but there was something about the way they put it that just sort of cut to the core of it. 
this very no BS way. And it was very, I, I can't explain it. Like they, they really changed my life. I think they were also surprised that I, I found so much wisdom in them. But everybody needs to find the lens that they can see through more clearly. Like some people find, find astrology or things that are more new agey. I, I don't respond to that. I, I found the, the tenets of, of, of kink. And I wouldn't say that I'm a kinky person in my real life. For some reason, it resonated with me, and I found myself feeling, just feeling, just much more alive and and understanding more about myself after having after having talked to them. Do you think it's because, like, with kink, and I don't know a ton about it, but it sort of boils things down into really understandable ways to approach a situation. My friend, my friend once said to me, uh, my friend was on vacation with uh, his partner and another guy, and they were all arguing over what you know where to go and he's like someone's got to be the top <laughs> you know <laughs> and it's true someone's got to be the one to make the decision yeah um so that's like i was like, i always i say that i once said that at a meeting at work that didn't go well i'm oh like this is why i can't work in, in public places anymore um yeah I, I i think so i think the idea of of for something about consent negotiation communication respect and all all these things they that's sort of how i'm trying to 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 view my life mm. these days and like and then am i being served you know how's relationship serving me and and am i giving the same kind of respect that i've been that i'm receiving um I don't know. So when you say serve in the context of this conversation, can you talk a little bit more about how that word functions? Yeah. So I love the idea of like, you know, being, you know, the idea of like a serve, like a servant, you know, how is this serving me? Because it's not in a Marie Kondo way. No. It's a different serve. It's more like the idea of like, you're a queen and this, this, you know, this cake is not, you know, you know, this, I don't think. It's like you're being queen and someone's serving you. It's like, this job no longer serves me. Yeah. Instead of saying to yourself, which really is saying that, like, this job no longer is making me happy. It's no longer, you know, instead of feeling bad about it, like, oh, I wish I was doing better at work or I feel so bad, you know. Like, I had to say to myself, I was a journalist for such a long time. And I struggled with with working as a journalist because the industry was just in such decline. Yeah. And I... You know, I, I worked in news for so long, and finally there were just it was just layoff after layoff, and I felt like it was my fault. I just I just took it all very personally. And looking back, you know, and then I left. When I left journalism, I took different jobs, and it was very complicated. But really, what I should have said to myself, which I, of course I didn't at the time, was this career is no longer serving me. It's not my fault that journalism went into a tailspin. It was just this, this industry was no longer serving me professionally, financially, emotionally. And you just have it's to never on. serves financially. <laughs> but I think it was it just took the shame and the guilt out of it. You yeah. know, it's just a matter of like what you deserve and what you're ready to move on to, you know, and sometimes a relationship might not serve you anymore. Like a friendship might not serve you anymore. You could be best friends with someone from childhood. But then when you see them now, like they're not as nice. They're always late. They're always, you know, venting to you and they're not, you know, then you can say, well, I don't know if this friendship is really serving me anymore. It doesn't yeah. have to be snotty or mean, but there's something about approaching it like a queen yeah. versus like agonizing over it, you know, that just f- makes you feel less guilt. Like I, everyone, everyone wants to feel like a queen, like a princess, you know, yeah. and there's something and you can feel that way about so much of life. You don't have to just feel like shit all the time about stuff that you haven't done anything wrong. Like yeah. I didn't do anything wrong to make journalism fail, you know, but if I would have now it all makes sense to me that's why I left because my career was no longer serving me and there's something about that that just makes you just feel like you can move on in this more grand way you know and I don't know these are all things I hadn't really thought of until this one Dom said that she moved on from her 
ballroom dancing career because it was no longer serving her. And that just was such an elegant way of saying that I'm ready. I need to move on. Yeah. And that it's not my fault. It's just the situation. I just thought that was so badass and, and so I just loved it. It just was so elegant, you know, and, yeah. and I think that there is an elegance to a lot of the, the way that they spoke and a lot of the way that they carried themselves. And I just thought it was a very classy way of being in a way of, of just keeping yourself aloft. And that's me being an alpha woman is someone who just says like, I deserve better. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm going to keep going because I'm not going to take less, you know? And then, but then that guilt comes in again of like, well, do I deserve better? The answer is yes. The answer <laughs> is know, yes. I know. The, and you just have to say, you know, like you have to say, are, is what I'm asking so unreasonable? You know, like if, if I, there's a job and an assistant job on a mess of her $100,000 a year, it's like, you might think you deserve it, but that's not what you're going to get. Should you ask for like a little more and then see what happens? Like, no, yes, you should, you know, I mean, should you have some, a little bit of expectations, but just pretend, I mean, a lot of men just don't have that instinct to, to ask for things that they, to think that they don't deserve it. You just go for it. Yeah. And I just really like, you know, you have to, you have to get some no's. You know, and like no's are, are lessons, you know, and sometimes they're good lessons. Sometimes they're like become personal grudges, yeah. <laughs> but that's okay too. You know, we just, it's, there's, I don't think I've ever asked for enough money for a job. I, I don't think I've, I don't think I've been a great negotiator for myself. I don't think I've been a good advocate for my ideas. These are all things I was trying to work through when I wrote the book. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I, I don't know why I am that way or why I was that way, Um but for, I, I, but I was wrong to doubt myself. It just seems so easy to do it, to say, well, what do I know? Or like, well, they don't like it, so I guess I don't know what I'm talking about. And then it's just easier to kind of sulk. I don't want to do that anymore. I've yeah. seen enough ideas out there that are just, just as shitty as my <laughs> ideas. So why not me? And No, this is a great idea, this book. It's yes. So cool. I do think it's a good idea. I think it's a little out there for people. I think this, I, I hope that people uh, enjoy the book as much as I enjoyed writing it. Um, I don't know. I, I just was really, I was really moved by these women. I was very touched. They were so incredibly generous with their time, so generous with allowing me into their space. Um, they did not have to do it. They could have, you know, it's their privacy is, is essential. Um, but I, I, I just can't thank them enough. And I just, I hope that when they read the book, they see how, um, how they can just feel my gratitude. And um, I actually had two of the doms on my podcast, um, which is called Spent. I did a uh, sex and money mini series, and um, I have a um, I have these two doms, uh, Lucy Sweetkill and Dia Domina Dynasty. Oh They're, my god, their names are so good. Yes, and they have a little. They have their own little business called the uh, Maison de Rouge. And in terms of style, they are magnificent <laughs> they have great style as you had asked before but um I just found talking to them they just have this very sort of calmness about them I mean they're definitely kinky and they're sadistic and they're but they just have I just found the way they answered my questions they were just they just took what they did so seriously and they just had spent so much time on their on themselves and building the lives that they want and they said you know we needed a life that that align with our values and their values are kindness, communication, travel, eating good food, you know, like having a, a beautiful life in a way that 
and I just I just admire that so much. And they were just so much fun to talk to. And so I have a money podcast. They talked about marketing and branding and how why they chose to do what they did. And it was such an interesting story. And I just I just would rather hang out with them and hang out with with most people, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. Do you think it's because once you sort of cross that Rubicon into having that level of control over your own life and being successful at something that is probably pretty tough, do you think that just gives people an inner calm? I don't know. I think life changes a lot. I think you could feel calm one minute and life can kind of throw you a throw you a curveball. Um, I don't know. I just think that they just – I really can't speak for everybody, but the one people I spoke to, they just seem to just take that – they just – when they talk about self-care, they don't just mean, like, a bath bomb, you know, that they really spend a lot of time, like, analyzing how they're feeling, thinking about how they're doing, thinking about how they can make their lives better, think about how the people around them are feeling. They're just, like, emotional athletes and empathy mm-hmm. athletes. That's the only way I can describe them. The stories they told me, are I, I couldn't make them up. And they're not that they, because they were gross. They weren't gross, just the the, the stories of, of people and what they – what they hear and how the situations they have to respond to. And you just, I, I don't, I don't know if I have that capacity within me. Um, but they're just like us, you know, like their parents get sick and die, you know, like their apartments flood and they have to move, you know, mm-hmm. like they're not superhuman, you know, but um, I just feel like that they, they may take a little more time to sort of figure out who they are. Um, and I really, I really admire that. I think people just sort of go through their lives and they just sort of stick with one, one version of themselves. And I don't think that I found the ones I spoke to were not afraid to evolve and to ask themselves questions that were hard questions. Um, most people don't examine themselves in the mirror. And if they see something ugly, they either ignore it or they want to change it. But sometimes our ugly parts are, they're still our parts, you know, and yeah. you don't have to hide it or, you know, you just have to figure out what it means. And maybe it is part of who you are and it's not as ugly as you think it is. What would be like the dominatrix mindset on if you're someone who tends to overthink things and overanalyze? I don't know. Is that such a bad thing? I guess the dom point of view, I think, would be like, well, why do you think that's such a bad thing? Like, who told you that overanalyzing is bad? Like, I think that's the thing that that if I was like Madam Lindsay, I would say to you is, you know, the things that we, you know, just there's nothing wrong with giving something a lot of thought and there's nothing wrong with weighing both sides of things. Um, and who's to say that your, your thought process is wrong just because someone's spontaneous doesn't necessarily mean that they're making the right decision either. Um, if you think it's holding you back and you think that you, you take too long to make decisions because you don't want to make the decision in the first place. Um, that's something to think about, but I, I think that giving things a lot of thought and being thoughtful is actually a really great quality. You know, and I think that just because you, I don't know, there's, there's just no one right way to be. You know, people, it's, yeah. I, I think that taking some time and being considerate um, of your own thought process and before you make a move, thinking before you leap is, is a great quality. I don't think that just because people are, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with overanalyzing. And I think the question I would ask you is, are you really overanalyzing or are you just analyzing yeah yeah and is it serving me or the hypothetical person who's analyzing (laughs) yeah I mean I guess I guess the question you know what is what when you think what's something that you think you overanalyze oh my god everything like everything similar to you talking about journalism like I've been having a had a bumpy road with that career path as well so 
like a lot of time is being spent thinking like what went wrong what could I have done differently that kind of stuff yeah and I guess yeah it is the to the point where you just have to say to yourself this is not helpful to anyone I think yeah I think that you know I think lessons learned are important I, I'm still learning lessons from things that I did 10 years ago I'm, I've never I never left something and thought about it the next day. I said, well, I'm done with that. That's not how people think. You know, people rehash moments. I'm still. And then when you try to do that, that's when it really comes back to bite you later on. I mean, I'm still like deciding what college I want to go to. (laughs) Like, I still don't know if I went to the right college, you know? And I think that if you're someone that thinks things hard and are very considerate and somebody who takes things to heart that's just who you are but if you feel like it's holding you back from from making decisions then it's something to think about but I don't know I, I like introspective people yeah I, I don't know those are the people I tend to like that's good to know <laughs> <laughs> um did you see that tweet that was going or I'm sure you saw it like a week or two ago it was like a text message um saying I have some bad news or whatever blah 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 are you in the right headspace to receive what was, do you remember what the exact wording was? It was like, are you in the right headspace to receive bad news? I, I do remember that. Um, Is that something that would be in the dominatrix playbook or absolutely not? I don't, that's a really good question. I, I think that, I, I don't for, know. Yeah. If people didn't see this because they're probably not as online as we are. It was like the point of it was, you ask someone if you can complain to them before you do it? I think that there's, I mean, that was, I think the reason why people freaked out because it was so formal and like templated, you know, and I think that's what is so sad that, you know, I mean, if I'm going to complain to a friend, I will say like, do you have a minute to vent? Can I vent to you for a minute? Yeah. And ideally, if it was a good friend, she'd be like, dude, I just can't right now. I've got the kids or whatever. And I'd say, great, like, how about later? Like, that's how normal people... I don't think there's anything wrong with, like, with saying, like, is it cool if I vent to you right now? It's just like a dick pic. Like, don't just send a dick pic. Be like, you know, just at least say, like, want to see my dick? You know, like, I think that there's there's ways to... I understand with consent. I think it is nice to ask before you throw your psychic damage at somebody. Yeah. Um, But it doesn't have to be so formal, especially if it's a good friend, you know? Um, I know that people... I don't know. For me, it seemed very formal. But I but I think about these things now in a way that I didn't used to. You know, like when I was like in doing comedy, like some guy just like sent me a dick pic and I just thought it was gross. But in the yeah. end, like, oh, this is something that's really funny. Um, in the book, I talk about um, there is a sexting chatbot that I used um, that I interviewed the founder. It was called Slutbot. Oh my god! And slut, <laughs> Slutbot is a sexting chatbot that chatbot that teaches you how to sext weaving in consent, and it was very interesting and it was really fun um, and very dirty. And I think and what they teach you is to be as filthy as you want and filthy is great, but just to say like, is it okay if I do this or like, are you in the mood to hear about this? Yeah. So that you can say so to keep the conversation going in a very dirty way, but just to just like let the other person know that you're paying attention to them and listening to them and also engaging them. So I'd be like, I want to do this too. I want to do this to you. It's like, what do you want to do to me? Yeah. It just was, it makes for a better conversation when you're sort of bringing the other person in so much of sexual communication. You just be like, I want, I want, I want, you know? Right. And the other person's like, I'll give, I'll give, I'll give, you know? But, um, so I guess with that, the lesson is if you're in an emotional conversation with someone, don't send an emotional dick pic. 
I think that's really good advice. Which don't... is basically the same thing as are you in the right headspace to receive bad news? I mean, that's the thing. It's like, do you ever like be running down the street and someone's like, my boyfriend dumped me. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh my God, I feel so bad. But you're like running and like your brother, you, you like, you step in a puddle. It's, I think that that's, if it's your best friend, but sometimes you just can't, you know, I think there's nothing wrong with saying like, do you have five minutes to talk to me? But I don't know if that's yeah. the same as, I think people talk about boundaries and consent and I think boundaries and consent are incredibly important. I just think that you, we all know our own friendships. Yeah. And we don't need a template. Um, most of my friends will say, do you have five minutes? Can I vent? And yeah. I'll be like, girl, vent away. Um, I have some friends who just like, you just have to know your own friendships and I think that that's why people get so freaked out about all this like overly PC talking because it's assuming that we don't know how to communicate with yeah. our loved ones already. Um, and that's what makes everyone very upset. I have never, if we have a friend that overly vents to us and they're constantly bringing us down, we have to learn how to negotiate with that person and say like, Hey, like, I know that you're freaking out, but like, yeah, don't just like drop me these endless texts during the day. You have to just like, you know, and that's how you can communicate. You don't send them a form letter. Yeah. Like I'm no longer in the space. So I'm not in a space to accept this, you know, your, your psychic trauma, you know? But I don't know. I, I think everything's getting very formal and scary. But you have to. But I. But I. I get the spirit of it. Yeah. I do. I and I think that's very important. Even though like I'm a little older than some of the, some of these people, I do understand. Yeah, you should you should respect people's boundaries and not like you know. You not should... yeah, just like bomb them with emotions. <laughs> yes, yes. Don't send an emotional dick pic. I think that I like that a lot. <laughs> One of the biggest things we talk about all the time is misconceptions about divas and about famous women and not so famous women and how people often look at women with the most critical lens possible. So what was one of the biggest misconceptions that was cleared up for you while you were reporting out this book? I think that I thought that dominatrixes were going to be really mean people, really sadistic people. I don't that I, and I did not find that to be true. I think that they have in their work, you know, they have a sadistic side to them. You can't just, I think this work isn't for everybody, but I don't think I realize how much kindness and how much empathy that, that, um, is such an essential part of the job. They had so much respect for their clients. They had, um, so much respect for each other. Um, I didn't know there'd be so much kindness. People think of a dominatrix, they think of cruelty and they think of, you know, bitchiness. And I mean, we're all people. I'm sure we all have our moments, you know, clearly. And again, like these women are women, you know, like they're human beings, um, but I had no idea that um, that it was that it's a business of kindness, and it's you know, and that really was very moving to me. And I didn't think a book about doms was going to be a book about empathy and sweetness. <laughs> that's so. That's such a great line. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And I think that um, yeah, and I also yeah, I also learned a lot about you know not to be. Not to look at, you know, masculinity and femininity so much in terms of sexuality. And, you know, just what does it mean to be a dom? What does it mean to be a sub? In the end, it doesn't really matter what you are. As long as you're just, you know, playing with your... As long as you're just expanding your horizons and just questioning who you are and just keeping yourself... Keeping life lively, you don't have to worry about so much about labels. They're not into labels so much. And I also like that, too. When I said That's to them... surprising. Yeah, they were like... When I told them this book was, like, for the curious... It was for beginners. They were all really excited. They're like, good, there needs to be like a beginner book. 
there needs to be something for people. You don't, shouldn't just jump into the deep end. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a sub or a dog. I think all these things are just like, it just constricts you. Because who says you can't be one thing one day and another thing another day? Well, you can't be like subby in your 20s and dumb in your 30s. Like, don't lock yourself in. And, and labels will do that. So I that's something I learned, even in the world of BDSM, where labels can be a thing, to not worry about labels so right. much. And I thought that was really cool, too. It's it's not – nothing has to be rigid. And, that you know, your brain is just your sexiest organ. And just keep questioning things and just keep – you know, keep it sexy. <laughs> cool. So when is the book out? The book is out January 14th, uh, Simon & Schuster. And if you want to pre-order it, that would be great. Um, you uh, can pre-order it through Simon & Schuster. You can pre-order it on Amazon. Any place where you buy your, your favorite books, uh, you can you can pre-order it. And, I, and uh, I hope you like it. And it's called Bow Down. Bow Down, Lessons from Dominatrixes on how to get everything you want. Some people think Diva's a bitch. Who's a diva to you? Would you say, are you one? Diva Behavior, the podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.